I do apologize. I slightly sabotaged the beauty <laughs> with that lack of a capo. But uh, uh, the boys worked very hard on that. And uh, I know Jesus is very grateful for every voice that sings to him. So, so last time I preached, I had a little problem with my iPad. So I'm actually going to use a real physical Bible this Sabbath. <laughs> there it is. Right here. All right. I'd like to pray one more time before we dive in. Father in heaven, um, God, I come before you with only what you've given me. That's the best any of us are able to do, Lord. Every good thing we have is from your hand. So I ask, Lord, that this morning uh, your Holy Spirit would speak through me, speak to me, Lord. Lord, we have come this morning to hear from you. We praise you as the humble God who bends down and listens to humanity's cries. We ask the Lord for a clear, clear mind, an open heart to all that you have for us this morning, Lord. Your promises never fail. Though human strength may fade, we know you will never. And for that, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. So, the Mayan culture was a marvelous civilization for a time, actually for thousands of years, about, about I think 2,500 years or so, give or take. But this marvelous civilization, as we know, suddenly disappeared, and no one really knows why. Well, there's a man named Albert Lin who decided to ex- discover this. He's been traveling the world for years trying to unlock these mysteries. And so there's this new show by National Geographic called Lost Cities, like Discovered. So he goes to Mexico, and he takes a LiDAR machine, which is, it emits lasers, and the machine inside can, can create a distance map. So if they send the drone over this land with this de- LiDAR detector, it creates like a perfect map of the landscape and they can like peel away the trees in their computer and they can see the ripples and the flat parts of the land. Now, why is that important? Well, over the centuries of the thousands of years, what was once a thriving civilization has now been overgrown by trees. And so as they're, they're trying to unlock what happened here, Albert talks with the people the people who have descended from the Mayans. Why would he talk to them? Because they have the oral history, the heritage. They know the land. And they end up learning of this, one of the most famous Mayan king's tunes. And they tell him about this, and they lead him to the spot, and they go up in this pyramid, and they go down through the stairs into the core and the heart of this, this tomb. So they find the actual um, like coffin, And on top of it are these glyphs, not hieroglyphs, but glyphs, which are pictures. And Albert asks, so what does it mean? 
And their, their guide said, well, this is describing the, the creation of the mind culture, the origins, the beginnings. So this is what this means, and that's what that means. And as they're, they're talking, Albert's mind is spinning. Can any of this be real? Or is this mythology? So they do their LIDAR detector machine thing over this, this uh, map of glyphs, and what they discover is they're actually geographical things. And so he's asking, hey, is there any place where there are cormorants? This image of cormorants. And he says, yes, there's actually a lake. Now, is there any place that has a mountain that has like a split in the middle? They said, actually, yes. There's a mountain with a split in the center. Are there lakes around it? Yes, there are lakes around this. All right, we're going there. So as they, they travel and they climb and they hike, they find this mountain with a big split in it, and they find these caves. So they do what any explorer would do, and they jump in those caves. So they lower themselves down, and right away, they discover signs of life. Well, history. <laughs> um, on the radio, uh, Albert's teammate says, hey, look for a stalagmite or a stalactite, because they considered those sacred. And you're going to find something special there. And so he looks, and he finds one, and he looks down, and he finds broken pottery. And he's excited out of his mind, because this pottery dates back to BC days, these little shards. And it, it looks the same as these other shards that they had found and dated and everything. And so they keep exploring this mountain and they sent a drone over the land they sent a drove over drone over here drone over there and long story short they end up having this idea once they've stripped in the computer the trees away from this mountain they see the top has been flattened and different parts have been carved computers are amazing through an algorithm it was able to tell them which features in the land were not natural and were actually hand uh, man-made and they discover this mountain was hewn by people to become a temple. Now, of course, it's all theory. But they look at the surrounding areas. They strip the trees away and they find signs of cities, temples. There's squares and rectangles, which to us doesn't mean a lot. But to them, nature doesn't generally create squares and rectangles. And so what had been undiscovered for ever has now been uncovered. And how... Did this journey begin? It began when Albert went to the people who knew the history, to the people who had the heritage. Now, I tell, the, tell this story because all of us walk away from our homes at 18 when we go to college or whenever we leave our homes with a heritage, something we have gained from our families. And when we go off through this world trying to find our own way, that goes with us. Some things you want to keep. But were there things that when you left home you did not want to take? You wanted to leave there, right? You wanted to keep them in that house. And you created a new path. And hopefully by God's grace you were following Jesus. All this, this generation is seeking for identity. An identity that can come in heritage. But for this generation comes in the formation of whatever they want, whatever they like, 
But knowing our human nature, does following whatever we feel good about always come through for us? No. There's some things we get excited for that actually aren't that good for us. But there are a lot of things we get excited for that are. And so heritage becomes a way of finding direction in life. And this was pretty pivotal for the three wise men. Well, really, this is more tradition, a Western tradition that there were three. Eastern tradition says there were 12. And practicality and the, the, the practicalities of traveling over 900 miles with gold and expensive things suggests that they are actually a whole group of them, guards and, and all. These men had discovered a secret. Like Albert Lynn, they found a secret tied to an ancient heritage. Now these men, where were they from? The east, and likely Babylon. And in, in that in Babylon, in the east, there were these colonies of Jews, these learning centers. And in these places, the Jewish scriptures were studied. And the people of Babylon... All the, the, the smartest folks who are interested in things of the future and for them magic, they would go to these scriptures to find more interesting things about the world. And so these men found the scriptures of Micah and knew there was something going on in the sky. A star appeared they'd never seen before. Growing up as boys, wherever they were from, there had never been a star in the place it was. And suddenly, poof, there was a star. And so from the heritage of the Jews, they come to understand a king is being born. Now, they probably didn't really understand that Jesus was divine. They couldn't really grasp that. But what they did was be faithful to what they knew. So they packed up, and they went on their way on a journey that would take several months to worship this little baby. As we're going through this story in Matthew 2, I just want to point out there's these three groups here that I think we can gain a lesson from. There's three groups. We have the three wise men, Herod and the religious leaders. And you may relate with one. Hopefully not all. <laughs> but I think in these people's experience, we see like a seed of faith and it, it echoes the scripture reading. But it also echoes what Jesus said. That it just takes a mustard seed, grain of faith, just a little faith to do amazing things. You don't need a lot, but you just need a little. So we come to Matthew 2. Matthew 2, verse 1, and we'll begin our story here. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Pause. Why was everybody troubled with Herod? 
because Herod was a ruthless man. There's different ideas about which Herod this was, but if this was Herod the Great, then this is a man who executed his favorite wife and two boys because he was, he was suspicious that they were trying to usurp his, his power. And this is a man who had put heavy taxes on the people. Although he was great at handling them in the famine, he is known for being very gracious during that time and being a great builder for the people. But they were all scared. If Herod was unhappy, no one was happy. So Herod, curious about this new king, and probably a little nervous, because he considered himself the king of the Jews, he goes to the religious people who should know what's going on. And so we come to verse 4. And when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Will shepherd my people Israel. Now, these are beautiful promises. There's be one who could come and reign and rule and shepherd. And a shepherd isn't about domination. A shepherd cares for people. A shepherd, or sorry, not people, sheep. <laughs> but this shepherd would care for people. And so Herod's fear is quite strange, don't you think? It says he's troubled by this. Why would someone be troubled to be taken care of? Why would someone be troubled? Well, if you're being taken care of, it shows you have a need. You have some kind of limitation. And if you're being taken care of, you have to submit to the one who's taking care of you. And for this man, submission was not an option. And isn't that, though, the human condition of resistance? We don't want to submit to everything God says. It's only by God's grace that our heart softens and that we become interested in, in righteousness and, and whatever he wants us to do in this life. It's only by his grace, which Herod had been going without. So he is troubled by the presence of this shepherd. How, how starkly different from the Magi. They were in wonder. They were in awe. Why? Because they were truth seekers. They wanted to know what was real. They wanted to know the things beyond what they could see. And although this was not part of their heritage, their tradition, they were pagan men, they, like Albert Lynn, gave it a shot. They decided to try. And like Albert, looking at those glyphs and going on what could have been a wild goose chase, the Magi go off following this star, hoping to find a king being born. They were in an orientation of worship. And that prepared them for the king. Now we come to verse 7. As Herod is scheming of how he can silently, secretly, end this threat to his throne. He enlists the help of the Magi. And so we come to verse 7 where it says, 
Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. He hides his true intentions under the wrapping, the gift wrapping of worship. And thinking that he had convinced the Magi and deceived them, he doesn't even send any guards with him to make sure that they come back with, with the news. He just sends them on their way, thinking they'll come right back. But we know divine providence spoils that scheme. Amen? And so, I want, to note, I want you to notice what has happened in this story so far that is quite significant. I'd like to make a, 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 um, a similarity a comparison between Albert Lynn's experience and our Christian experience. In the Christian experience, we step into the unknown. Jesus asks us to walk into something we've never experienced before, to follow one we cannot see, to trust in a book that was written a long time ago and let it shape our lives. When the world around us says, do what you want, do what feels right, do what makes sense, Do what you know. Do what feels good. And it takes faith to believe that it's going to work out in the end. Similarly, in Albert Lin's experience, he looks at these glyphs. And it's his conviction, his belief, there's something more out there. And based on that belief, he goes exploring. So I submit to us that as Christians, while walking in faith can be scary at times, Consider us explorers. Explorers. Exploring not the treasures of man, not the wonders of the world, but exploring the might of God. And the only way to explore the might of God is to go out into unknown places, is to go out where we've never been before. Is to, it might not even be going out into the world, it might be going in. And letting Jesus talk about your heart. And, you know, that's actually often the case. These wise men were following a star. How many times have you just followed a random object in the sky, hundreds of miles, thinking that there would actually be someone there? It's akin to following a rainbow, expecting there to be a pot of gold at the end, right? But these men followed what they knew. They followed their convictions. They followed their beliefs. And it led them to the king. It led them to Jesus. I am, as I was preparing for this, this, uh, this morning, I was just in shock. Because how many of us, when God tells us to do one thing that's out of the ordinary, we just take a step back. You want me to say what to who? You want me to do What? <laughs> You want me to process that thing in my past that was so painful? What? These men traveled hundreds of miles hoping, trusting, depending on this heritage of the Jews. And they were not disappointed. Because we come to verse 9. And verse 10, where we see an emotional spike as they're getting closer. 
to their, their goal. Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw this star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Exceedingly great joy. Now, this isn't just the kind of joy that Ed Sample had when he found those deals on Black Friday. Now, I'm sure Ed was excited, but <laughs> I was excited when I heard about it. This is, this, they've probably never been more excited in their life. Oh, well, if they were married, hopefully, you know, maybe they were excited on that day as well. But they were full of joy over something they'd never seen. Over something, someone, they'd never seen. They'd only read about in paper from a people who weren't their own. What kind of faith is that? <laughs> How marvelous the way God works. So they're, they're exceedingly joyful. In verse 11, they finally arrive at the house. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They found a baby. They found a newborn king. That piece of paper was not just a piece of paper. It was not just written by the hand of man. It was ordained by a God who is real and who is speaking to every human heart who knew exactly how to get the wise men from point A to point B. It was the hand of God through all of it. While their curiosity, their convictions could have been more, probably more business, you know, they, it doesn't say that they became Jews and believers in Jesus as the, the Messiah following Jehovah. But although they, they didn't understand what their worship really was, how great it really was, they worshiped anyways. They bowed down. And as any, um, any group of people who come to a power to, to honor them, they brought gifts. And in that culture, gifts were brought to a king, queen, and it was a sign of obedience. And this was their, their, their gift to say, we honor you as a king worthy of our obedience. We honor you as one who knows what needs to happen and when. Now, it's kind of strange because it's a baby, so, you know, it can only go so deep in their minds. However, God has generally a twofold purpose with his, with his work. Because not only was this an, these gifts an honor to, G, to Jesus, but it likely was providence aiding them on their flight to Egypt, which was a long way, too. And this poor couple didn't have the means to just get there and then take care of themselves. But that was not a limit to God. Amen? It was not a limit to God. And he provided. Now we come to the resolution of this story. While Herod was after the baby, the wise men were after him too, right? They found him. 
But Herod hadn't found him yet. And he was expecting him to come back. And you know, the Magi were going to go back. The only reason they didn't is because God spoke to them in a dream. In a dream. It says in verse 12, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now they probably initially would have gone down the Silk Road. It's a really common place of travel. But this time they're going to go a different way, which probably was harder. But it was the only way to honor the king. It was the only way to keep the king and his family safe. And so they went another way. They changed their plan for the king. Now you can, I don't know if you can kind of see the why I'm painting Christianity as a kind of a group of explorers. Because in the same way that Albert Lynn was on all these twists and turns as he found out new pieces of information and discovered new things and had to change plans and whatnot. So did these men, as God ordained, change their plans. As the situation changed, they pivoted. Now, I don't know about you, but I've discovered about myself, I actually tend to like things to stay the same. I like things to be orderly and to have an expectation of how they're going to turn out. I like the plan to accomplish what it was intended to accomplish. But because God knew that about me, he put me in a whole lot of circumstances to soften that. (laughs) He had me join Cole Porter programs for five summers. I could tell you lots of stories where God challenged me, man. Well, I thought, no, I should pass this home. They didn't answer. I don't want to disrupt their little party in the backyard. And God is like, no, give them a chance. Knock on their fence and call over. And although I stalled for a couple minutes, because it's so nerve-wracking for me to think I'd be disturbing a family's get-together, I called over, and the Lord moved, and those people were excited about what I had to bring them, and they purchased things. (laughs) always bending my expectations to show me that how flimsy they actually were, that I really thought it had to turn out a certain way. Now, you have probably expectations of this life and how things are supposed to be, and God wants to bend those. He wants to show you those expectations are nothing to hang on, nothing to find security in, nothing to find confidence in, and he wants to replace it with the things in these pages. Promises that have never changed for anyone who's read them. They look different in people's lives because we're all different and we come from different places and we're going different places. But they've always, anyone who's stood on these promises has found God faithful. Has found God faithful. Well, the world is not faithful, right? Jesus said you will find tribulation in this world, which is a common theme in the Bible. So many characters, tribulation. I always think of Joseph. I feel like he's like the quintessential Christian. Grew up in the, in the church. Everything was fine and dandy, besides uh, some animosity from his brothers. And then it gets sold into slavery. And he's away from his family for decades. And he goes from exalted position as a person who's just working hard to a prisoner convicted of, of rape. For like seven years, for years. And then he's elevated 
two, second in command of the entire country of Egypt. Now, that was never his plan. Could he have planned that? No. <laughs> I don't think that was actually God's plan for him to get sent to slavery. Now, that was not a, not a fun thing, no. That was a sin on the part of his brothers. God had some other plan, but the brothers, maybe, I don't know if they expedited it or not. <laughs> you know, primary, pri- what is it, priority shipping? Um, th- that plan. But the Lord worked in it. The promise stayed the same. He clung, and Joseph clung to his heritage, the God of his father, and made the God of his father his own God, and decided to take the promises for himself. And he wasn't let down by God. He was let down by people, but not by God. And so as this, 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 little, this little portion of the Gospels here, the wise men coming, I pointed out earlier that there were these three groups. There's the wise men. They were seeking Jesus to worship him sincerely. Then there was Herod, who when he learned about him, he wanted to destroy him. But there are also the religious leaders and you notice in verse 2, or verse 1 and 2, the, the wise men have come to Egypt, sorry, <laughs> Jerusalem, and they ask this question. Now, who are they asking to? The religious leaders. Before they went to Herod, they went to the people who ought to have known. And they still didn't, it didn't sound like they really got much of an answer, because it's not until verse 8 that it says Herod sent them to Bethlehem. Sent them to Bethlehem. Where were the religious leaders? I appreciate what Desire of Ages tells us. It gives us a special insight. The people who had the heritage, who read these scriptures, you know, the scribes were teachers of the law who knew everything, backward and forward, were resistant to considering the claim of the wise men as true. Because if these pagan men from the East were the first to discover that the Messiah had come, what a shame it would have been for them. And to hide their shame, they withheld the truth. Thinking, if I can hide it from others, I don't have to face it myself. So this is this third group. They have the heart of Herod, different it's different but nevertheless there is no honor for the king and their desire to hide and distance and so when they go to Herod there's there's no encouragement there's no praise there's no thanksgiving it's just well this is what our scriptures say and you don't hear about them anymore in the story it goes back to just the wise men the explorers who are willing to trust the word and go, and go. And even though they were sent by Herod, the Lord was truly the one sending them. And so what I think is remarkable is all three groups, the people who were raised in the religion, the corrupt leader, and the pagan people, were all led by God. They were all spoken to by God. God had spoken to all of them. They had exactly what they needed for the time they needed it. Herod, blinded, mind dulled, corrupt, wrapped in his sin, 
had no ear for the Spirit. So the only way he was going to hear about this new king is if someone who believed in it came to him. And what happened? God brought the Magi through. God brought the religious leaders. And he took it seriously enough that he sent the Magi and eventually had a plan to just kill all the, the baby boys in that story. God knows how to speak to you. This is our, this is our, our map, the Bible. The Holy Spirit is our compass. The Holy Spirit is our guide. And he knows exactly what to say to you and how to say it. And I know for my walk with Christ, for, for a lot of years I had a lot of anxiety because I wasn't sure if I could hear God well enough to know that I was making a good decision. And uh, that was undue anxiety. No, it was unnecessary, and it was just a burden. Because God had already spoken to me. And if I, all those times I just trusted in him and just went with what I knew, man, it would have saved me so many, so many sleepless nights. <laughs> man, God knows how to speak to you. So again, this is, I'm trying to paint Christianity as a bit of an ex- exploring mission. Every exploration has a leader. And in this case, it's not you. <laughs> you are on the team to exploring the wonders of God. And this story is, is really all about that. Humanity discovering God. The pagan wise men for the first time. The Jews, they had learned about him for centuries. Herod didn't care. <laughs> but the Lord spoke to him. And the Lord is speaking to you. And what he wants to speak to you is not just specific tasks or missions. What he's doing in your life is opening your eyes to his glory, his might. In our denomination, we have a strong mission, right? We believe in mission work. We believe in evangelism. We believe in Bible study. We believe it's important to study the Bible for ourselves, to pray together. But it can be uh, a habit for us that I've seen in myself and in others that it all turns to routine, all turns to formula, all turns, turns to this is just what I was raised in. And God wants to pull us out of that. He wants to pull us out. And write a new story. That we don't live under the, the story of our parents, our mentors, our pastors, spirit of prophecy. He wants to have a unique story with you. And that story is one that unfolds his might to your eyes. And the only way for you to see Jesus is to go out there. It's not something we can escape in this life. I've heard the phrase, fail faster. Sounds quite negative, but when you realize perfection is not an option, and failing teaches us quite a bit, failing faster is actually quite wise. Uncomfortable, yeah, but it can be the way for you. Similarly, Jesus' plan for you may be quite uncomfortable. Things might go south a few times, 
But rest assured that his promise to you is never going to fail. It's never going to fail. It's never. If you're standing on it, you're going to be standing above the water like Peter. But if you're going to look at the waves and all the threats and the fears and, oh, I don't want to go through this or that, you know you're going to get put in a box. You're going to get put in a cage. And maybe that's where you feel. That's how you feel right now. You feel caged in your spirituality. You don't feel like you can really break. You have, it's kind of ho-hum. The things are as they've always been. I encourage you, consider your walk as one of exploration. Exploring the power of God. You will leave that cage. Because there's no lock on it. (laughs) There is none. It's ready to be walked out of. Every moment, every day, every hour. And all over the world, this kind of thing is happening. I don't know if you've heard, but there's been so many stories over the last handful of years in the Middle East of angels being sent to Muslims to teach about Jesus. I pulled up a little article on my phone earlier um, with details about this. These are the things that that Muslims have learned through angels, and they've claimed even from Jesus himself. These are the categories of these dreams and visions. There's four. Jesus speaking scripture to them, even scripture they had never heard before. Two, Jesus telling people to do something. Three, a dream or vision that led to a feeling of being clean or peace. Because if you know Islam, the only way to be clean is to do everything right. Literally, you are saved because you have done everything right. You get to go off to some special land because you prayed with the proper technique, bowing and standing at just the right time and just the right amount of times. You go to, you know, it's just this this machine that if you run it correctly and it wears people out, but these dreams brought a sense of cleanliness, of peace in the heart. And finally, a man in white physically appearing So here's an example. A friend of this author tells of a Persian migrant who arrived at a refugee center at 6 a.m. Visibly upset, he told his story to a Persian pastor. During the night, he saw someone dressed in white raise his hand and say, Stand up and follow me. The Persian man said, Who are you? The man in white replied, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the way to heaven. No one can go to the Father except through me. He began to ask the Persian pastor, Who is he? What am I going to do? Why did he ask me to follow him? How shall I go? Tell me. In response, the pastor held out his Bible and asked, Have you seen this before? No, he replied. Do you know what it is? No. The pastor then opened to the book of Revelation, where it reads, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The man starts crying and says, how can I accept him? How can I follow him? So the pastor led him in prayer 
and peace came over him. The pastor then gave the man a Bible and told him to hide it, since the Muslims in the camps could cause him trouble. But the man replied, The Jesus that I met today, he's more powerful than the Muslims in the camp. He left, and an hour later returned with ten more Persians and told the pastor, These people want a Bible. No one had to teach him through an evangelistic strategy. No one could have. Jesus did. Isn't that marvelous? And it is the question today, how may I follow Jesus? What am I to do? How shall I do it? And what I have discovered for myself is just the invitation to come. That's not a formula. It could never be a formula. It never could. He just says, in John 7, anyone who is thirsty, come. And I will be to him like waters flowing from his belly. This he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit. Are you thirsty for Jesus? He will quench it if you come. If you spend that time being totally honest, like, God, I don't feel like it, or God, I'm so excited, but I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Please lead me. Sit and listen. Sit, think about where you need Jesus in your life. Do the work of exploring. Where do you need to see Jesus mighty? God will lead you. And then go to scriptures. Because one, one day, just actually a few months ago, I thought, Lord, I am feeling something I never processed. I feel worthless. I know I'm not. I know I'm not. Show me in your word how I can recorrect my thinking. And he led me to one passage I had read long ago. And I didn't know where else to go, so I went to Google. And he led me to another passage. And in that passage, he actually used the exact language that I was talking to him in. I said, I feel like, and I, I, forgive me if I shared this story before. This is so exciting. I said, Lord, I feel like you're the treasure in me, but I'm the worthless treasure chest. I have nothing special about me. And he's like, well, first off, yes, I am special. And you are to give the world of me, not of you. Because I'm the one who has life. Secondly, in that second passage, he, God was calling his people, Israel, his own treasure. It said, I treasure you, I honor you, and I love you. And I was like, wow! God spoke. He led as I explored. So I encourage you to explore the might of God this week. Where do you need to see him mighty? Do not delay. Do not delay. The Lord is not delaying. He is ready this afternoon. You just plop down in a quiet place with your Bible and maybe a journal. Take some time. Where do I need to see the power of God? Because it's those who seek, they find. As Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things shall be added unto you. 
Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened. So take these pages, and like the, the wise men, go exploring this week. Whether it's a Bible story in the life of David, or a psalm, a proverb, go intentionally exploring. What is not done intentionally is generally not done. Go exploring with God. Go explore God. And as is is promised in Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians 2, the Holy Spirit, who searches the deep things of God, will teach you. He will lead you. Jesus said, I'm going to send my spirit, and he's going to guide you into all truth. All truth. He's going to remind you of everything that God has ever taught you, just when you need it. So if you're thirsty, come. Come to explore. Come to find something new. And you might just have to be patient. Because this is not just, again, about exploring like Albert Lynn looking for novelties. This is a relationship. This is a loving two-way street. So love on Jesus. What do you do when you love someone? Go do that with Jesus. And explore with him. And as a Magi, you will find marvelous things. Can't promise dreams or visions. But you have the paper. They have probably had like papyrus or something. Scrolls. You have a nice book. You have it in your iPads and phones. You have it everywhere. Go exploring. Jesus is coming soon. There's many out there who are exploring as well, but they're going the wrong places. So when you're exploring and you find Jesus, you're one step closer to being able to speak into their lives. Speak into their lives. Do what the religious leaders could have done. And speak the truth. Live the truth. Because God's going to do it. God's going to do it. So why don't we, I'm going to say a prayer for us, that we would become explorers of God's might, that we maybe go out and share the good news. Let's pray. God, you have gifted us so many beautiful things. Uh, Our family, our friends, children, jobs. You're the great giver. And so this morning, Lord, thank you for the, the message you've given us to go explore, to get off the couch Get out of the pew and go explore by the the map we have in your word, guided by the Holy Spirit. Please humble our hearts, Lord. Please remove anything in us that is keeping us from seeking your glory and worshiping you and falling down before you. Lord, we cannot do this work ourselves. Lord, you are the only physician to heal our spiritual illness. And so we thank you, Lord, that we can come to you just as we are, knowing that you will cleanse us. As you told Moses to hold up the, a staff with a bronze serpent, calling the people to gaze upon it for healing. Lord, may every morning be a time of gazing upon Jesus in your word. Help us, teach us how to do that. And I pray, Lord, that we would see marvelous things. Even today, for those who will seek. So God, help us to put you first, above all, and not wait, because Satan wants us to wait and put it off and just play church. But we know you are not about 
playing, you you want to heal us. You want to be close to us. You want us to be close to you. So thank you, Lord. That you're always with us. And we have the promise of Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty, Lord. We're so close to you. Thank you for being close to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we stand for our closing hymn.